You are listening to Pastor Fred Neal III of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Be a Doer, based on the book of James, chapter 1, verses 21 through 27, recorded on Sunday, February 5th, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Fred as he preaches. We are, of course, still in the book of James, chapter 1. And uh, I want you to get out your message application points. I want to start right from the beginning with the first set of fill-in-the-blanks that you see there on your message application points. Our first point there is this. True Christian faith is manifested in a lifestyle of obedience to God. True Christian faith is manifested in a lifestyle of obedience to God. In other words, true faith is faith that works. And that's our series title for the book of James. Faith that works. Faith that acts. Faith that does something. Faith that takes action on what is heard. This is the main theme of the book of James. James brings us to this point in chapter 1. He's already been unpacking what it means to have faith that works. He's already been unpacking what it means that true Christian faith is manifested in a lifestyle of obedience to God. He's talked about how we can persevere through trials. He's talked briefly about faith-filled communication with God and having a godly perspective on wealth and life. He's talked about facing temptation as as Pastor Scott worked us through last week. And next, he's going to bring us to that very famous argument that he makes in chapter 2 on the relationship between faith and works. But the point is clear from the beginning of James to the end. God is looking for doers. People who will act on the word that he has given us. So let's look at our text to see how James brings us to this point. James chapter 1, I want to read 21 through 27. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure, And undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is our passage for this weekend. It starts in verse 21 with the word therefore. Of course, you've probably heard this expression. When you're studying your Bible and you see the word therefore, you should ask the question, what is it therefore? Therefore points us back to something that happened or was said previously. Often it leads us into the application of something that has already been established as true. 
And so this therefore links verse 21 back a little bit earlier in the first chapter of James to verses 17 and 18, where we are reminded that the, of the good gift that the Father gives, which is salvation. It reads, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. We are brought forth by the word of truth. Therefore, James says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. If the gift that God gives is salvation through his word, then our response is twofold. Put away and receive. To to put away uh, uh, the, the filthiness and the rampant wickedness of this world and to receive the implanted word of God, which is able to save our souls. You see, this is a command for Christians and non-Christians alike. This covers the whole scope of humanity. For non-Christians, this is a call to salvation and justification. To non-Christians, if we will put away and receive, if we will put away sin, if we will put away the rampant wickedness that we live in, and we will receive the implanted word of God, which is able to save our souls, then we can receive salvation, which is a one-time event. At the moment of salvation, you also become justified. That means you're right before God. You have justification before him. These are one-time things. And if you've already done that, then you're already saved and you're already justified. But if you've never done that, this is an invitation to put away and to receive the word of God which is able to save your soul so that you can receive salvation and justification. And so that's the application of this for non-believers. But most of us, I assume, in this room probably are already Christians, already believers. We've already done that. And so do we need to do anything with this? Well, the truth is we all know This putting away of wickedness and filthiness is an ongoing process for us as believers, isn't it? Just as salvation and and justification are one-time events that happen once and last forever, what we call sanctification, which is the ongoing putting away of the old self, putting away of that rampant wickedness and filthiness. That is our call as Christians to continue putting away, not to be saved, not to be justified, but to be sanctified, to become more like Christ. And so we likewise are called, and, and perhaps, I, I don't, it's hard to say who James had in mind, maybe both groups of people are who he's speaking to here, but certainly it's applicable for all of us. But Christians, we're called to, to put away and to receive The word put away is a good way of thinking about what we commonly call repentance. I think often when we think of repentance, we we think of, you know, sorrow over sin, asking for forgiveness. That's that's part of repentance. But I I like the phrase put away because that really gets at the heart of what repentance is. The word repent means to turn from something. 
And so to put away is a a great way for us to think of repentance, both as those needing to be saved and as believers who are on, on an ongoing basis called to repent, to put away, to turn from. And so that's, that's what we're called to do, to put away sin and to receive the word. To receive the word, the implanted word. This is such a central thing to the Christian faith. It's central to our salvation and it's central to our spiritual growth as believers that we receive the word. That's why what we do here on the weekends is so important. We come to receive the word. That's why it's important to be in the word. To be in the word regularly. To have a plan to make yourself in the word often so that you can receive this word. So what exactly is the word? Well, I think if we look at the context, James means this in a very broad sense. The word of God or, or the message of Jesus the gospel, and all that it entails. And so you can think of this, I don't think it's a stretch to say the Bible, what we think of as the Bible, the message that God has delivered to us. We are called to receive this word, which is able to save our souls. And so the next thing you'll see on the map there is that receiving the word of God with faith brings about salvation. Receiving the word of God with faith brings about salvation. This is how God has ordained salvation to come to us. That we receive with faith the message of the gospel. That we receive with belief, with trust, with with meekness, as it says here in James. And that we receive this, this message and that in that is the power of salvation. Therefore, hearing the word is of great importance. There is no salvation where the word of God is not being heard. Let that sink in a minute. There's no salvation where the message of Christ is not being preached. It is receiving the word, the message of the gospel that has the power to bring salvation. Therefore, where there is no word spoken, where there is no message of Christ being delivered, there is no salvation. That's why missions is and must remain so important to us as a church. We have to keep in mind the reality that that billions of people are not hearing the word. And so we make this a priority here at Harvest. Hopefully you make this a priority in your own personal life. In fact, we designate a a significant part of our church budget to missions so that the word might be heard in more places, not as much as we would, would like to, excuse me, Not as much as we would like to because there are other things that we must consider a priority as well. But we together as the church need to value missions as much as as we possibly can. Because where the word is not being preached, there is no salvation. We can sometimes get 
caught up in everything that there is to do here, which is a lot. There's so much to do right here in our, in our own backyard that we, we lose sight of the importance of what needs to be done and what God is doing globally, what God is doing around the world and about the task that needs to be accomplished, which is taking the gospel to where the name of Jesus is not being named for salvation. Sometimes we lose sight of that and and we lose perspective when we think, well, how can we justify sending so much money or investing so much money into missions when there's so much to do here? We let that that, that thinking creep into our minds. And I think when we do that, we're we're missing the, the calling that God has placed on us as a church and as individuals. We are called to both. We are called to minister the message, the word, the gospel right here where we live, where God has planted us, and we're called to go. We're called to go and take this message to the ends of the earth. We shouldn't choose one or the other. We should try to value both of them as much as we can. Let's do as much here as is humanly possible. And let's do as much out there as is humanly possible. It's like asking someone which of your kids is most important to you. Well, they're all important to me. They all have value to me. They all should be treated equally in the sense that they, they both need my attention. So it is with the ministry that God has given us here locally and the mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jesus told the first church, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. Jerusalem is the town they were in. Judea and Samaria, the surrounding region, and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so that mission has not changed. We are to be witnesses here where we live every day and we are to take the gospel where it desperately needs to be heard. In fact, we are believers today because someone at some point said, you know, I know there's a lot to do right here, but there's a whole bunch of people out there who don't even know the gospel, who don't even have the opportunity to hear the message of Jesus. And so we should keep doing what we're doing here, but let's send some people to go and to tell them. And because of that, we received the gospel message. Let us be the ones who say that now. Who say, you know what, we're not, we're not going to forsake any of the ministry responsibilities we have right here. But at the same time, as much as God enables us, we're going to go and take the word of Christ to where it needs to be preached. Romans 10, 14 through 17 says, How then will they call on him on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Which is a good transition back to the book of James now with that little parenthesis on the importance of us taking the message of, of Christ to where it's not currently being heard. Let's come back to us. Those who have heard the message. James tells us the importance of hearing the word. The word which is implanted, which has the power to save your souls. He does not diminish the hearing of the word. It is faith in the message of the gospel that can save your soul, he tells us. This is what we call salvation by grace through faith. That means it's not earned, at least not by you. Salvation is not earned, it is granted to you by grace. It comes as a free gift to all who believe. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation has been earned for us by Christ and we can do nothing to earn it. We have done nothing to deserve it and we add nothing to what he has already done in terms of our salvation. What he has done when Jesus went to the cross was totally sufficient to save us completely. Think of the thief on the cross. If you're not familiar with what I mean by that, when Jesus went to be crucified, they, they crucified a couple of men alongside him, criminals. And in one place we're told they were robbers, they were thieves. And these men who were guilty of sin were being crucified beside Jesus. And at one point they're both ridiculing him. But the Gospel of Luke tells us that after seeing Jesus suffering for a while, one of them saw Jesus as a righteous man. And he looked at Jesus and he says, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? Jesus says to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now here's a criminal a criminal worthy of death, a man being executed for his crimes. He had no opportunity after this to to repay Jesus. He had no way to to justify Jesus' saving him through his own actions. He's just a criminal. He lived his whole life in sin, and he dies a sinner. Except for one moment of faith when he sees Jesus as he is and asks for his mercy and his grace. And Jesus gladly grants salvation. Knowing this man's not going to go, and this is not the Apostle Paul who's going to be converted and he's going to go and he's going to do great things for Jesus after this. He does nothing but die. This is salvation by grace. That this man did nothing to warrant Jesus' forgiveness except to have faith. 
And that's exactly how salvation comes to every one of us. In a sense, you and I, we're just like that man on the cross. We don't have anything to offer. There's no way we're going to repay him. All we can do is have faith and ask for his mercy. We are brought into Christ through grace. We are kept in Christ through grace. God does not need nor does he welcome your contribution to his case for saving you. In the end, when it comes time for God to justify whom he has saved and who will receive the judgment for their sins, he is not going to point to the good things that you have done. He will not reference the potential he saw in you to one day be a good Christian. He'll point to Jesus. The only justification God needs for your salvation is Jesus. And it's the only justification he relies on. That Jesus Christ did everything he required for your salvation. And his work is credited to your account by grace through faith. Because you believe. That's how salvation comes to us. Our salvation is his work from beginning to end. It's salvation by grace. It's granted as a free gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't add to it. He just gives it to you because he loves you. And that brings us to verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James, he's, listen, he's, he said, he, in, in the context of salvation by grace through faith, he says, now be doers. And I made such a big deal out of that because I want us to have the same context. When we talk about doing, we're not talking about earning God's favor. When we talk about doing, we're not talking about repaying Jesus for our salvation. When we talk about doing, we're not talking about justifying God's selection of us for salvation. Yet be doers of the word. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So the question that that perhaps needed answered in James' mind was, does all this emphasis on salvation through grace by faith mean that we should just not do anything? There it is. Jesus has done it all. He's our salvation. It comes to us by grace through faith. So let's just sit on our butts and listen to the word all the time. Now, James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And that's because, and here's the next thing on your map, the same word that assures us of our salvation by grace through faith commands us to seek to radically obey every word and every command given to Christians in the New Testament. The same word. 
It's the same word that says that, that Jesus did what you could never earn. The same word that says that it's only by grace that you can be saved. The same word says, now do it. Do the word. Do all that Jesus has commanded. Do all that the Bible tells us to do. Do not confuse salvation by grace through faith with a, with a free ride to not live, to not act on what the word of God says. We must hold those two things as precious, both the reality that we cannot earn, we do not deserve, and we cannot add to our salvation, and yet we are commanded to radically obey the Word of God. That this is what it means to be a Christian, to to be saved by faith, and to, to grow in Christ by faith, and yet to be obsessed with doing what he has commanded. Now, you may not ever live up to that high standard in this life. I realize that. But if that's your excuse for not trying, then you've made a terrible mistake. You're just what James says you are. You're deceived. For when God saves us, he calls us to obey, to be doers of the word. Now, James illustrates this for us, and his illustration is very simple. He chooses a mirror. In verse 23, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he who looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being No hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. This is James's way of illustrating this this point. The ridiculousness of someone who looks at himself in a mirror and walks away and forgets what he was like. The silliness of that. Who does that? Well, that's kind of James's point, isn't it? But I think there's something more to this as well. There seems to be a purpose implied here for looking into the mirror because of the contrast that, that James draws between the two people. The one who looks intently yet walks away and forgets and the one who, who looks into the mirror and acts. The one who looks into the, the, the word and acts on what he has seen. You know, we have mirrors everywhere today. You see mirrors all the time. Every, every time you go in, into a bathroom and you're washing your hands, there it is. There's a mirror in front of you. And I often glance into the mirror just long enough to see, we have, for, you know, not much has changed. For better or worse, still the same. But the person in James' illustration here looks intently with a purpose There's a purpose, and and so I think we should understand this looking as the kind of looking that has great purpose to it. As a man, I have very little need for mirrors. I don't have a lot of hair. I I don't have other things going on that I need to worry a lot about, yet there they are. But you ladies, you're different than that, aren't you? 
I mean, you've got makeup, and the makeup's got to go on, and it's got to be maintained, and you've got hair that needs done, and your outfits have accessories, and those accessories need to be in the right places, and all of us, you have much greater purpose for looking into the mirror. For me, it's, it's more, okay, let's, you know, the occasional check to make sure a stray booger has not made its way to the openings of my nostrils. That's about it. That's about all the need I have for mirrors throughout the day. My, my granny from Georgia, she lived with us for a while when I was a teenager, and she, she'd refer to putting on her makeup as painting the old barn. <laughs> if, I, if I wanted to go somewhere and needed her to take me and she hadn't put her makeup on, she'd, she'd, first, she'd say, first I need to paint the old barn. That's how she referred to it, and that meant put on her makeup to get herself together Make herself look nice. Imagine a woman who gets up on the day of her wedding. She looks into the mirror. Her hair's a mess. Her makeup still on from yesterday, only it's, it's smeared all over the place. She opens her, her mouth and looks, and yep, there, there it is. There's, there's something green stuck in her teeth. And it's her wedding day. And yet she walks away and forgets what she has seen. She has gathered the necessary information. She knows what needs done. This hair needs fixed. The makeup needs attended to. I need to clean my teeth. It's my wedding. I I use this mirror for a purpose, to see what needs done. Yet she walks away and does nothing about it. Well, Who would do that? What good did it even do to look into the mirror? That's James's point exactly. You look into the mirror and you see what needs done, yet you walk away and you do nothing about it. A mirror is very useful. It can help you understand changes that need to be made. But you do nothing. You look, you see, you have the information, but you don't take action. Too many times we're just like this. We look, we see, we have the information, but we do nothing. We just walk away and act as if there's nothing that needed done. And so James wants to coach us a little bit here, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago. My illustration or my analogy, if you will, of James kind of being like a, a sports coach who comes in and he wants to say, if you're, if you're going to be one of us, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then this is how we live. To be a Christian is to obey. To be a Christian is to be a doer. To be a Christian is not to just hear the word and not do anything with it. To be a Christian is to act on what you've heard. That's James's point. That if we are going to be Christians and if, if we're going to wear the jersey and say we're on the team, then what are we doing? Show it. Let's see it. Act like you're part of the team. Christians are doers, he says. Let me show you. This, this comes up again and again throughout the New Testament. Let me show you a couple places where Jesus says as much, Luke 8, 19 through 21. 
It says, then his mother and his brother, his brothers came to him. This is Jesus being referred to. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God. And and don't we wish he stopped right there? Because that's easy. We're good at that. We do that with ease. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. To be a part of Jesus' team, to be a part of his family, is to hear the word of God. That is important, but equally important to do it. In another place, after he preached the Sermon of Mount, which was, was it's his longest recorded discourse in the, the Gospels, full of practical commands to obey, he, he ends the Sermon on the Mount with this. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Christians, You hear the word. Now do it. That's what it means to be a Christian. To not just fill yourself up with all kinds of information. To not just gather more and more knowledge of the Bible and of the Christian life. But to do it. To have faith that works. To prove your faith through obedience. The next thing on the map is this. Faith is tested by obedience. Faith is tested by obedience. The rest of our passage, verses 26 and 27, we see three tests. Three tests James wants his readers to subject their religion to. Three tests that true religion will be able to pass. Let's look at them. Verse 26. And if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's unpack this real quick here. Religion, religion is a, it's a difficult word to use sometimes. It's, it's got a lot of positive connotations and some negative connotations with it too. But, I, but we see here James is using this in a broad sense. I think he's just saying if, if you say you're a Christian, that's what he means. If you're going to say you're religious, then here's what true religion is. If you're going to say you're a Christian... Then, then how does your Christianity hold up to these tests? And his tests are they're interesting. I wouldn't say they're the only tests. Um, I wouldn't even call them a final exam. 
but they're important tests, tests that James says Christians should be able to pass. The first is the hardest in that it appears to be pass or fail. And what I mean by that is that he's going to say, if you don't pass this one, your, religious, your religion is worthless. And when I, when I see things like that, and when I, when I preach texts like that, I always think about the spectrum of people that might be listening. Because on one hand, you have people whose consciences are, are very active, and, and they'll very easily fall into condemnation and, and be fearful that their salvation is not real. And they hear something like this and, and they immediately become nervous. Oh no, am I going to fall into this category of worthless religion? And then on the other hand, you got a bunch of hard-headed knuckleheads <laughs> who you can't beat the word of God into them, no matter how hard you try. It just bounces off of them. This verse is for those people. <laughs> so those of you that are perhaps a little sensitive and, and, and you're concerned often about your sal- salvation, hang on, it's, it's going to be okay. James is probably a tough book for you at times, but that's all right. The grace of God is going to bring you through from those For those of you who are used to just letting the word of God bounce off of you, listen up. James wants to speak to you. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If your Christianity does not change the way you talk, and listen, this goes way beyond whether or not you cuss. That's not even, that's not what we're talking about. This goes way beyond. The Bible says that the power of life and death are in the tongue. Do you build up with your tongue or do you tear down? Do you take every opportunity to slander and to bring others down and to, to, to condemn people with your words? Are you always talking about everybody behind their back? Or are you an encourager? Are you someone who speaks truth seasoned with the salt of the gospel? When you go to work on Monday, do your co-workers notice a difference in your speech? Do you, do you say things differently than the non-believers around you? Or are you just like everybody else? If they... If, if they had to judge whether or not you went to church this weekend by how you talk, they'd say you slept in. James says, anyone who thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. What does he mean? What does it mean for your religion to be worthless? Let me give you a quick illustration. Go to the bank next week where you have your mortgage, if you have a mortgage. If you don't, pretend. Go to the bank where you have your mortgage and to, to, to pay off your mortgage. Only, only this time, don't take your checkbook. Before you leave the house, go to where you keep your board games, open up the Monopoly game, pull out all the Monopoly money, put it in your pocket, and head to the bank. Go to the bank and say, I'd like to pay off my mortgage today. 
They'll likely put you in a room with a loan officer and begin to talk about what it's going to take to pay off your mortgage. And when they give you the final amount, reach into your pocket, pull out the Monopoly money, and with a smile on your face, set it down and say, I think this will take care of it. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. Because what you have just handled, handed them is absolutely worthless. They won't take one cent off of your balance for what you have just handed them. Religion that does not do as much as affect your tongue is worthless. If you are a hearer only and your hearing does not result in doing, then you will stand before God on judgment day with a debt to pay. And you will be searching for something to pay him with and all you are going to find is monopoly money. And you will understand what James meant by worthless What he requires instead is a faith in the gospel that leads to obedience of the word. He wants doers, not hearers only. We'll come back to the tongue in a couple of weeks later. And James, he brings this subject up again. So let's leave that one there. There's two more tests. And we're not going to have time to get into these very deeply. Two more tests that James wants to subject our faith to. They're in verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That's one. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. The last thing that you see on your map there in terms of fill in the blanks. In contrast to religion that doesn't lead to changes in the use of our tongues, true religion expresses itself in very significant ways, such as caring for the helpless and resisting sinful conformity to the world. That's an attempt to sort of summarize what what James is saying here. He says there's, there's religion that doesn't even go as far as to affect how someone talks, and then there's religion that creates action, such as caring for the helpless and resisting sinful conformity to the world. Now, this is not all of Christian religion, is it? This is not all that we're commanded to do. I think James lays these out as examples, but just because they're, they're perhaps only examples, let's not push them aside. The, the Holy Spirit led James to share very specific things. Visiting orphans and widows in their affliction and keeping oneself unstained from the world. Perhaps a good thing to do this week would be to consider your own life. Are you doing enough to care for the helpless? People like orphans and widows... And are you resisting sinful conformity to the world? I'll have to leave it at that for the sake of time. Clearly, you can do all of these things to some degree without faith in Jesus. You can control your your tongue, and you can care for orphans, and you can 
You can resist the sinfulness of the world. But what James is saying is if you have faith, you'll do things like this. It'll show up in your obedience. It'll prove itself through your actions. But you cannot earn salvation by it. That comes through faith in Jesus alone. And so I want to I invite any of you here tonight who maybe that's the greatest thing you need to do right now is to receive salvation by grace through faith. And if you want to do that this weekend, I think that would be an appropriate response. To everyone else, let me give you something very practical. You'll see there on your map, there's a to-do list. That's a dangerous thing, I think, to include in this process, but I wanted to make this very practical. If this, if this text is anything, it's practical. It's about action. It's about doing something to obey the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you to come up with a couple of things, to come up with something that you can do to obey the Word of God. It might be a, a one-time activity might be something like sharing the gospel or even your testimony with somebody that you know or even just inviting them to come to church with you next weekend. It might be going on a mission trip. Maybe that's something you've thought about doing before, but you've always found a reason to say no. Maybe you need to get yourself on a mission trip and to, to do what we talked about earlier in terms of getting the gospel to the places where it's needed most. Maybe you want to take your campus pastor to dinner, buy him a big steak, something, something real practical. I'm just throwing things out here. Maybe it's an ongoing behavior, something that needs to change, something, a behavior that needs stopped or a behavior that needs to start. Maybe in, in the realm of your financial habits and your giving, maybe you need to join a community group. For the teenagers here, maybe, maybe you need to get connected to some other Christian teenagers through Crave or through a, the Christian club at your school. You decide what it is. This is like those books I loved reading as a kid. Choose your own adventure. You decide what God is calling you to do this week. But whatever it is, try to make it something that, that fulfills the commands that we find in the Word of God. Be doers of the Word. Not, don't make up your own morality. Be doers of the word. Obey what Jesus has commanded us in Scripture. Realizing that none of these save you, but that they are our appropriate response to salvation by grace through faith. That we would live it out in how we act. If Jesus is your Savior, He's also your Lord. Make it the ambition of the rest of your life to find joy in obeying Him. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.